This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and this is Episode 35 of the Recorded Future podcast. In this episode, we take a closer look at some of the specifics of artificial intelligence and machine learning, and how cybersecurity professionals can benefit from including these tools in their threat intelligence arsenal. We'll discuss clustering, natural language processing, or NLP, and supervised learning, and we'll find out why combining the talents of humans with the speed and analytical capabilities of computers, the mythical digital centaurs, could provide even more powerful solutions in the future. Joining us are two experts in artificial intelligence and machine learning, Christopher Sestito from Silance, a company that's all in when it comes to AI technology, and Stefan Trouvet from Recorded Future. Stay with us. Artificial intelligence is really trying to utilize uh, computer technology to make human-level decisions. That's Chris Sestito. He's the manager of threat research at Silance. So whether, in our case, that would be kind of a good or bad uh, decision on software. So is the software malicious or is the software benign? My favorite definition, you know, is, is when we're trying to have machines do something that uh, if a human did the same thing, we would say that, well, that's an intelligent thing to do, or that's something which requires some kind of intelligence. That's Stefan Trouvet. He's one of the co-founders and chief technology officer at Recorded Future. The challenge sometimes is that when we hear the word intelligence and think about people, we, we usually think of very, so, so to say, sophisticated things which people do, whereas a lot of the stuff which we actually do with AI today are things that humans do without thinking, you know, like you don't say that if someone is intelligent if they can drive a car, whereas that's sort of the you know bleeding edge of, uh, of AI is to have autonomous cars. Hmm. And, and same thing for a lot of what we do at Record the Future. I mean, the core AI part of our product is our natural language processing, which, uh, which you know, again, is something which humans read and understand text without putting any effort into it. We don't think of that as intelligent, but it does require both very sophisticated reasoning and an understanding of the world. So it's definitely AI that's required to do that. We approach threat intelligence uh, utilizing machine learning. Machine learning really thrives in an environment where there's a lot of data. You know, you see it in a lot of different industries, whether it's the medical field, whether it's, uh, you know, finance uh, and in, in security. It's it's an environment where we can learn from quite a bit of data that is available to us. So in our case, uh, we can see quite a bit of, you know, of the story of what's happening uh, with a threat through things like data logs, network sensors, um, and then attributes about a binary. And there's quite a bit of data there. And when you extrapolate that out over millions of endpoints that we are kind of absorbing this data in, the best approach really is kind of a machine learning approach where we can uh, use the advantage of computational power to help us make decisions across such vast amounts of data that a human would not be able to do. So essentially, I like to think of it that we're doing two very separate things with AI in the recorded future system. So one is, you know, in terms of automation. So that's really what the whole NLP stuff is. You know, what we're having the machines do is exactly the same thing as we would want a, a human to do. But uh, we want to do it at a much larger scale. So, you know, the whole NLP thing is for us to be able to, as today, I think we harvest, you know, around 30 million documents per day. If you were to do that with humans, you would need an awful lot of humans to do the same thing. And, and the beauty is, of course, with machines is that for, whereas for humans, you know, you hire one human and you train that human to do something. 
And then you take the next one, and it takes just as long time to train that one. But for his machines, you know, once you have your software, then you can scale it out over a thousand or a million servers. You know, there's no additional training. They're just using the same model. You can copy it. So that's a big scale advantage. So that's really taking things that humans can do and, and automating it, you know, so that we can scale up. And then there's the other part, which is you know, in a way more thrilling, is what you could call augmentation, where instead what we do is we actually can have the algorithms tackle problems which are too complex for people to do. You know, essentially because they are high dimensional problems, there are a lot of variables and, and we are, you know, with our brains, we're not very good at the understanding those very complex connections between things. Whereas for machines, the algorithms scale nicely to higher dimensions. The thing is that, you know, humans are tremendous as it, when it comes to, to language. We understand very fine nuances and, and sometimes without thinking about it, we, we sort of incorporate a lot of our knowledge about the, how the world works in, into that analysis. And a machine which has, so to speak, no common sense really has to start from, from scratch in, in everything. Uh, and also, we are very resilient to errors, you know, so I can say something which is clearly ungrammatical to you. But again, a machine needs to be able to understand things, even if I drop out a word or I mix up a vowel or something, you know, which you're very, you're very good at, at, at understanding what I mean, even if I do those small mistakes. But to actually have the mis- machines be capable, even in the situation of mistakes, to understand language is hard. Whether you're trying to take a whole bunch of files and determine which are good and which are bad, uh, you would uh, do that through a couple different types of learning. Um, you know, supervised learning is one that we definitely utilize, which would be you take you know millions of files that we have uh, identified as good, millions of files that we've identified as bad, uh, and then put those labeled sets through a model that was developed in order to try and identify similarities uh, between, um, you know, what makes a file good and what makes a file bad based on the files themselves. And uh, that starts to be very useful when you have large amounts of data as um, you really start to identify patterns at a binary level. So my team utilizes uh, clustering, which is a concept uh, inside of machine learning in order to combine like samples. And uh, that will allow us to, you know, take samples, put them in subset groups based on their functionality, and we can classify them accordingly. So a very powerful tool when you're talking about large amounts of data, and that's something that we deal with every day. Does it happen from time to time that the the uh, the results from the machines surprise you? Whenever you're working with a large amount of data, and really whenever you look at uh, large numbers in general, you expect certain things to kind of pan out. Like uh, if you're trying to identify, you know, a specific type of malware, or you're trying to identify. Um, you know, a certain threat function, and you, you end up seeing patterns that you didn't know were there. And that's because the machine learning is better at identifying those patterns than you are, just to, for the sake of being able to look across so many samples. So, you know, it may be um, an example of, you know, we were trying to find patterns in a specific family of malware, and all of a sudden we learned that uh, it was something as simple as, you know, um, file size of something that was dropped or, uh, you know, a, a specific call out or a specific function that was used that you weren't even really looking for. And then after, uh, after using, um, you know, a clustering technique, you would learn that this was present across all of them. So it's definitely uh, caused, you know, some, some simple solutions that were surprising that uh, we may or may not have um, identified if we were just looking at samples ourselves. The best example where you are sort of almost always surprised is one component we have in our systems, which is not the NLP part, is that we've, we've started over the last two years to do what we call predictive analytics. So we have one component of the software now which tries to predict next week's malicious IP addresses. Hmm. And, the way, and the way it does that is that we, we train it on historical threat list or blacklist data 
combined with all the context we have from recorded futures, text analysis and NLP processing. You know, and then we have years of historic data. And what we can do then is build a model where you can use a machine learning model, where you can use that historic data to train a model, which actually can allow you to take an IP address today, which we haven't even seen in our system, and actually give it a risk score, you know, how potential that address is to become malicious, say, in the next five to seven days. Every time that works out, it feels a bit magic, actually. And, and, and so I guess over time, that system becomes more and more accurate? Yeah, I mean, as, as we add more data over time, you know, we can train and we retrain these models continuously. So over time, they definitely learn. I, I would say, you know, we have, in, in one sense, you could say we have today so so much historic data in recorded futures. I wouldn't say we have come to to the best possible model, but I think at, at least we're, we're sort of plateauing out there in terms of what that specific model could do. But if you look forward, you know, we, what we'll be able to do as we gather more data and we have more historic information, we will be able to do more predictions of this kind for other parts of the data. Anytime you introduce uh, a new variable um, from a human, you would definitely want to compare the results kind of before and after there was any human influence there. But you also want to consider that there are strengths on the human side of things as well. So an analyst is going to be able to identify something much quicker than a machine learning model. So an example, if, uh, you know, a a sample of ransomware came along with a ransomware message, uh, that's something that a human is going to identify right away that machine learning would want to see, um, you know, millions of those samples to identify those patterns. Uh, so there really are kind of different angles in terms of uh, of where the strengths will lie in, in really classifying. And um, so you're, you're going to want to use a combination of both. And uh, while machine learning is excellent in uh, a lot of ways, uh, you, you do want that human element there as well. Personally, I, I love this analogy with the computer chess. You know, so Kasparov was beaten, first human grandmaster to be beaten by a chess machine in the mid-90s, 97, actually. But uh, ever since then, actually, you know what, the best chess player in the world has not been a machine or a human. It's really been a human, a reasonably good human chess player working together with a, a good chess machine. And, and in computer chess, they actually call that centaurs, you know, the, mm. the horse-human combination. And I like to talk about us creating threat analyst centaurs by having the machines augment the capabilities of the human analyst and have them have the two work together. Yeah, let, let's explore that a little bit. I mean, what do you see on the horizon? What are the next uh, things that you would like to be able to uh, take on with these technologies? So for me, the the predictive part is really the, the next big challenge for us. As I said, we, we started doing it in, in a very specific domain, uh, and we're now broadening that to more domains, you know, so... Uh, not just predicting the risk of uh, individual IP addresses, but for example, predicting a risk for a domain. So you can imagine, let's say that you notice a new domain being used for the first time, and you want to actually be able to give a risk score to that, you know, which would be tremendously helpful because that would be a way to detect and warn for potentially malicious domains in, in say, phishing emails or in other contexts like that. And then I, then I would say beyond that, you know, beyond, beyond the predictive part, I like to think about the next step beyond that to be the prescriptive part, where the machines will actually not only detect these things or predict them, but actually also be able to to suggest what you should do to handle the problem. You know, essentially, you know, have have the machines at least start off to get, give advice about, you know, you should probably block this domain in your in your IDS system because we think it's 50% likely that something bad. As we move forward, the machines will be able to come with more suggestions about what to do, and and eventually, of course, we will be confident enough to actually give them the responsibility to take some of those actions themselves. 
My advice to any uh, security team or anyone trying to, uh, you know, create a solution for threats in today's world uh, would be that you have to choose a practical solution. Uh, I believe that a machine learning approach is really the only practical solution that's going to uh, help you defend your, your organization. Most of the threats that we see today have not been seen before. My team uh, sees only only about 20% of the threats we see have uh, have been identified before. And because of that, you need a solution that can make a decision on the spot. You need to have an approach that has, uh, you know, if you use machine learning, uh, there's a model that's ready to make that decision. You know, we've come across the uh, that kind of notion that uh, artificial intelligence is, is hype and, uh, you know, some people will call it uh, new age techniques, but uh, the reality is it, it's not hype. It's uh, it's a tool that's being used across many different industries to process data and uh, to take large amounts of data and use that to your advantage. Security is no exception. It, I would recommend to anyone that you utilize uh, technology in, in any form. And uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning are kind of the, the newest uh, ways to attain the same goal of security and you know, utilizing um, machine learning is really about allowing computers to do what computers do well and allowing humans to do what humans do well. Uh, you know, you read horror stories about uh, artificial intelligence taking over the world, and that's that's really not the case. It's uh, it's about computation, uh, working through large amounts of data in order to look at trends, in order to, to find similarities and patterns and allow humans to uh, to use that information to um, you know, to protect an environment in our case, or really make any decision, um, you know, whatever, whatever you're applying uh, machine learning to. But something that's important to note is that enterprise systems are always changing. Uh, there's constantly new updates going in. There's, uh, you know, modifications being made. Uh, enterprise systems may have to expand for, for new business cases. Uh, and machine learning allows you to learn about the good at the same time, where, uh, you know, you, you, get, you gain trends on legitimate software and what it's trying to do. What you need and what you can use depends so much on the maturity of the organization. And and we like to talk about intelligence goals. That's actually what we always do when we sit down with uh, you know a new company we, we met. We, we sit down and we discuss with them what are the goals. Are they looking just, for example, to see, you know, find leaked credentials or are they interested in doing broader threat analysis? Are there threats? Are they mostly worried about things like hacktivism or are they worried about theft of IP or data breaches and so on? You know, so there's a whole variety of different goals. And I think, you know, just having that discussion, first of all, about what it is really you're after, you know, I think that helps a lot in defining which tools and which processes you should go on and develop. So threat intelligence is really about understanding uh, attacks and understanding different methods that hackers or anyone trying to exploit your your environment is is taking. It's not enough just to stop a threat. You need to understand, you know, what it was trying to accomplish. You know, as malware is always changing and new techniques are constantly being developed. If you understand, you know, what you need to defend against, uh, you know, whatever costs or that you've endured in order to create that you know, that threat intelligence team or, or those threat intelligence products, there's a, there's a much better return on investment in understanding how the threat is attempting to, to exploit your environment or, or what the threat is attempting to gain. So you can really target your resources in defense that is useful and meaningful rather than trying to just use blanket generic solutions to protect yourselves. Our thanks to Chris Sestito from Silence and Stefan Trouvé from Recorded Future for joining us today. 
Be sure to check out the free white paper, Four Ways Machine Learning is Powering Smarter Threat Intelligence. That's on the Recorded Future website at go.recordedfuture.com slash machine dash learning. Check it out. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.